can clear me. I, I don't have a concussion, praise God. And I can preach today. Amen. Well, it's good to see you guys. We are in uh, the final week of our series uh, on Jesus and money. Uh, we're going to be wrapping it up today. And, you know, Clark uh, kind of led this series or kind of gave the vision for it for us. And he was like, uh, to Mark and I, he's like, what do you, you want to preach on? Like, what on money do you want to preach about? And it just made me reflect a little bit about some of the different perspectives that I've had on money over the course of my life. Because I'm like, I want to preach a perspective on money, right? And so I just was thinking back to all these different uh, ways that I've seen money. And I th- they, think they all come from the Bible. But the first one is, uh, I, was, I studied economics in college. And we read this book called The Good of Affluence. And basically, it's, he, this guy looks at like, all the Old Testament kings and says, man, they were royalty. You know, like, they had these amazing things. Solomon was the richest man in the world, right? So we are the children of God. We are like royalty. You can be like royalty. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be like royalty. I like that idea. I want to make a lot of money, you know, and I, I, that's okay. You know, kind of like this health and wealth idea. So I, I was down with that for a little while. Then I started reading the Gospels, and I read Jesus' life, and I read that this man was one who didn't have a place to lay his head. And so then I was like, no, 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 okay, forget the, you know, the health and wealth. It's all about giving it all away, selling everything, living simply, right? That's the way that Jesus lived. And in that place of living simply, I remember I would go to church. This is all in college. So I didn't have a lot of money. But I would go to church. I went to different churches, and every time the offering was passed by, I had this phrase in my head. It said, give it all away like Jesus did. And so I'd pull out my wallet and put my $3 in the, the thing as it goes by. And I was like, I gave it all. I remember specifically once I opened up and there was a $20 bill in there. And, and it was like a minute of turmoil in my gut. Can I give this $20 away? And I did. And I gave it all away because that's what the Lord told me to do, right? Well, I don't carry a wallet anymore, so I don't have that problem in church (laughs) anymore. But that was a season of giving it all away. Um, Another perspective I've had is, you know, when we read in the Proverbs, uh, we read about the ant, you know. And the ant is this, this animal that works really hard and saves a lot for the future. But if I'm going to be honest, you know, I kind of hate the ant a lot because he makes me look bad. And he makes me feel bad about myself. You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm supposed to save and stuff, but I just want to relax a little bit. You know, I want to chill like the sluggard sometimes in Proverbs, right? Uh, but no, it you know, gives me a, a perspective on savings I think is important. But then Clark preached on this uh, passage last week about the greedy man who built larger barns, saving for his future, kind of, yes, I'm going to put all this stuff away. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. So anyway, I've had all sorts of perspectives on money. And and I honestly think that the Bible does that on purpose. I think that the Bible has different kind of viewpoints on money uh, because of this. Because I I feel like the Bible uh, and God wants us to have this beautiful relationship with the Holy Spirit to lead us in our finances. He wants us to speak with the Holy Spirit about what do you want me to do with my finances. It's not a blanket, give it all away. It's not a blanket, you should all have savings accounts. It's not a blanket, you guys should all live in royalty and, and, and have awesome cars and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's, we can't say that to everybody, but Holy Spirit will lead each of you to have perspectives on money individually and also have different seasons of different perspectives, right? And so today... And we're going to have a time of response at the end of this message where you will get some time to dialogue with the Lord about what does 
giving look like? What do my finances look like for this upcoming year, 2019? We're going to give you guys some space to do that. But our responsibility, when the Holy Spirit leads, is that to obey and to do what the Holy Spirit says. So we have some responsibility when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And that's really what I want to talk about today is our responsibility. And what will we do when we are held accountable for what the Lord speaks about our finances? How will we respond when Jesus holds us accountable for the things that he told us to do in regard to our finances? So today we're going to be reading a familiar parable. It's the classically called the parable of the talents. Uh, The NIV that we'll be looking at translates it as the parable of the bags of gold. And here is the journey that we're going to be on today. First, I'm going to be talking about how Jesus is going to return one day. He's coming back to earth to bring heaven and earth together. He's going to start this new, his kingdom reign where he says, you know, I am the Lord of all. That is coming one day. And when he does, part of what Jesus' return is going to be is that he is going to hold us accountable to the resources that we've been given. And the resources, not just finances, but our skills, abilities, time, all this stuff, we'll, ha- we'll be held to account. But part of what we're going to be held accountable for is the way that we used our finances. And the big idea that I really want us to walk away with is this, is that those of us who invest our finances in the interests of the master will hear the greatest phrase of all time spoken to us. And that is this, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's kind of the journey that we're going to take. But let me, before we go into the parable, I'm going to give us a little bit of context for uh, this parable in Matthew 25. And that is Matthew 24 and 25. And this is the uh, uh, discourse of Jesus, a teaching of Jesus on the end times. This is right before the Last Supper, right before Jesus goes to the cross. He has this time with his disciples, and he starts telling them, hey, this is what the end of time is going to look like. When I return a second time, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be famines, wars, persecution, uh, killing, all sorts of crazy stuff. And I'm going to return on the clouds. There's going to be lightning, thunder. Angels are going to be all around. You know, we will not miss it. We will know when Jesus returns to earth. And then he starts going into these parables. And so he tells them this is what's going to happen. Then he starts telling these parables that are uh, for the purpose of getting us ready or, or letting us as disciples be prepared for when he returns. So the first parable he talks about is the unfaithful or faithful servant. This is at the end of chapter 24. And he says, I'm going to be like a master who goes away and I put in charge of my household and my family servants. And the faithful servant will be one who cares for the household and the family. And he will give, get a reward when I return. But the unfaithful servant is the one that says, oh, this, the master's not coming back anytime soon. I can just party. I can do whatever I want. I can mistreat people. And when Jesus comes back, when the master returns, that servant will be punished. Then he goes into another story called the, the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. And he says that five of these bridesmaids were wise and they had these lamps with a lot of oil, extra oil, for that the lamp could burn for a long time. And then five of these virgins or these bridesmaids were, had, had just a lamp and no extra oil. And the pur- purpose of this parable was saying, stay awake and be prepared because you do not know the day or hour of my return. So be ready. It could be a longer time than you expect. But be always on, ready for me to return. Okay, so it's in this context then that we get to the parable of the bags of gold or the parable of the talents. And so that's what we're going to study today. 
But real quick, before we hit the talents, or before we read, let me just make one little caveat. This is uh, classically taught in a way that the talents or the bags of gold kind of represent a lot of different things. So it's the resources, skills, abilities that, that God has given to us. And I think that's a faithful way to preach this passage. I think it also means specifically, though, our finances. And so we're in a money series, and so I'm going to specifically focus in on finances, but I'm not neglecting or not realizing that it can be broader than that, okay? So let's read this parable, the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so the way I'm going to kind of work through this is I'm just going to take it uh, chunk by chunk and just kind of pull out a few points. But again, the, the journey that we're on today is that Jesus is returning, we will settle accounts with him or we'll be held accountable to the resources he's given us, and we hope to be ones who've invested in his interests so that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This again, it it connects us to the preceding parables and to the preceding teaching in Matthew 24. This whole parable should be Uh, understood in the context of Jesus is saying, I am going to return. Here is how you can prepare for my return. He's going on a journey. You know, it's interesting. We're entering into this Advent season. That's when the Christmas season, right? The month of December, we celebrate Jesus' first coming to earth. But then Jesus died and resurrected and ascended back to heaven. And now we're in this period of time, this 
historical period of time where Jesus said, I will be coming back, and we're all kind of waiting for what that return is going to look like. So he will come back. He went on a journey. He's going to be coming back. He called his servants to him. Three times uh, this passage uses servants. And so we're, we're talking about the church. We're talking about us. We're talking about uh, those who know God, the servants. That's what Jesus is addressing this passage to. And he entrusted his wealth to us, to them. I think this uh, entrusted his wealth is such a key phrase because it, it reminds me of Genesis 2 when God created Adam and Eve and says, hey, guys, I am giving you humans dominion of this earth. It's on you guys to cultivate and care for this world. That's a massive responsibility. God gave that to us. And now here we see Jesus in a very similar way saying, hey, guys, I'm entrusting my wealth to you. Again, this is in parables. But I'm, I'm entrusting my wealth to you. I'm going to go away. What's going to happen? How are you going to care for this world? How are you going to care for my church? How are you going to care for my kingdom while I'm gone? It says to one he gave, this is in verse 15, the one he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. This is, um, you know, I, I think the one point I want to pull out of this is the amount of money that this actually is. And this is, uh, if you study this passage, maybe you've heard the, a talent, which is, again, what it originally is translated as, is about 20 years of wages. So we're talking, you know, you make 50000 bucks a year. That's a million dollars. So that's just one talent. So to one servant, he gave five of them, five bags of gold, five talents. That's, do the math, five million bucks. You know, two million bucks, a million bucks. That's a lot of money. So sometimes when we preach this passage just as like, hey, you know, Phil, you, I've been giving you this ability to pit, play the piano. You know, you, you better utilize that well. Again, I think that's faithful to the passage, but I think it misses the great responsibility or, or the actual amount, the, the massiveness of what Jesus was entrusting to his church. Lots and lots of money. It's massive. It's a great responsibility. Verse 16 talks about how the man received five goals, and at once he put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. The one who had two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So we see here two different responses. The first two servants had one response. The third servant had a different response. The first two servants... What I see here is this, it's a very active response. They received, they put it to work, they gained. It's this activity. And I think that they were motivated by pleasing the master. They, want, they were given this large sum of money and they were motivated by to actually gain from it or to invest it in important things. We see this motivation that they had. They wanted to please the master. The second, or the third servant we see he digs a hole and he hides it. There's this passivity to it. There's this, uh, I'm not really motivated to please the master. It was more motivated out of fear. I don't want to I don't wanna be, I, I don't not gain a lot and, and be dis- disappoint the master. So he just hides it instead. Again, one is more active. One is more passive. The master does in fact return and, and it says that he settles account. And this is, again, the important piece for us to realize is that 
Jesus is going to return to earth one day. And he will settle accounts with each one of us. He's going to come and he's going to say, hey, I entrusted this to you. What did you do with it? And we get to settle with him and say, this is what we did with it. This is, this is the, the positive side of this, right? The man with the five bags of gold, he invested and got another five. And he goes up to the master. He says, master, you entrusted me with these five bags. Look, I've gained five more. And again, the greatest phrase that we should be dwelling on or thinking about or desiring to be spoken of our lives comes. And the master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Same thing happens with the man with the two bags. Gains two more, and the master says the same exact thing over him. So what do we see here? First, I love that both of these servants said, you entrusted me. That's the first thing they said. You entrusted me with five bags. You entrusted me with two bags. There's this idea of stewardship in this. And stewardship is that we're given something that we are going to give back one day. And I feel like that is how we have to view our finances. Your salaries, the things that you have, your house, your cars, your children. These things have been given to us for us to steward to then return or to show him this is what we did with what you've given us. You know what I mean? Stewardship. It's like, and I just was trying to think, what are some, what are some you know, things that, ways that we can think of stewardship? It's like when someone lends their car to you and you return it with like the gas light on. That's not, a good stu- that's not good stewardship. That's not the right way to do it, right? When, when someone lends you their car to use, you get to use it well. Don't get in a crash. Don't mess it up. But also fill it with gas and give it back. And say, here you go, thank you so much. Or it's like when you lend out, you know, a crock pot. And someone returns it with like the, the crust totally caked into it. You know, and they're like, I, I scrubbed it a little bit, here you go, good luck. You know what I mean? That's not good stewardship, right? It's like you're given something and you return it in good shape. You return it back to the person who's given it to you. I think that we have to view the finances, our money that God has given us in the same way. It's, it's stewardship. It's thank you, you entrusted us, and now I get to use this for your interests. And that's the next piece that I want to hit, is that I think these servants, they were motivated to invest in things that the master was interested in. They were motivated to invest and gain a return in things that, that the master would be happy about. So, what are the interests of the Master? What are the interests of Jesus? Well, I think that when we look at the Gospels and we see His teachings, I think that one of the major things that Jesus is interested in is He's interested in the establishment and the expansion of His church all around the world. He is interested in in His body, His bride, us, being established in cities all around this nation, being established all in cities all around the world, being expanding to places that there is no church where His name is not being proclaimed. I think that is what Jesus is majorly interested in. You know, if in the Bible, 
we got this teaching that Jesus was like, hey, I want you guys to build rocket ships, fill them with rubber duckies, and send them to the moon, then I'm going to get into that. If that's what the Bible says, then I'm going to go up to NASA or to SpaceX. I'm going to go introduce myself to Elon Musk. And I'm going to say, I'm all about this. Let's do this. You know, I'm not an engineer, but I can pick up heavy things. I'll pick up the, the, the rubber duckies. I'll shove them in there. I'll serve. You know, I don't have that much money, but I'll, I'll pay for a little bit of the fuel. You know, if, if, that's what the in, if that's what Jesus is interested in, I'm into it. And so I think we see from the Bible, we see a slam dunk investment, like a no questions asked. This is a great place to put the finances that he's entrusted us with. Is it, it's in the establishment and the expansion of his church around the world. You know, this hit home to me uh, 10 years ago. I started believing this in a real way when I started to go to the harbor. The harbor is a, the th- uh, one of the three churches, Antioch churches here in Boston. And Neil Hubacher was the lead pastor of that church. Neil Hubacher was one of the original church planters to Boston from Texas 20 years ago. And then 10 years ago, he was sent out to start a new church in Beverly. And I am the direct fruit of his ministry. Uh, first weekend I went in there, he grabbed me. He was like, hey, let's do lunch this week. So we got lunch, and that started two years of him uh, deeply investing in my life and deeply uh, saying, hey, Phil, I see something in you. I want to I invest in you. And I saw also Neil do that with many other people and, and doing it while, you know, not really making much money at all. He was sacrificing in a major way, sacrificed a career. It was, it was, it was hard in those beginning years. He laid down his life for the sake of the church in Beverly and for people like me. And so it it made it real when I started giving to that church, when I said, I believe in what Neil is doing. I believe in Neil. And I believe in what the harbor's doing. The harbor's ministering to to people like me. And I want to see that expanded here in Beverly. And I want to see it expanded in the world. And I ended up, and and it's crazy, but I, I was the first person sent out overseas from the harbor. I went to Morocco for two years. I was the direct fruit of Neil's investment in my life. I didn't have that plan until he started saying, hey, this is something that you could actually do. And so that was the moment that, you know, tithing became not just a teaching, but this idea of, oh my gosh, of course, I want to see this, the church expanded and established here in the city. And now, Leslie, in my own financial life, we view our finances as this major investment in what God is doing all around the world. And we invest in every single missionary who we've sent out of Boston because we say we want to invest in and them church planting and seeing sex slavery ended. We can't be there in person, but we can put some of our finances there. Alex Moger, resident here. We say, hey, we believe in what this guy is doing. He's seeing purity groups on BC campus for men. He's leading life groups and and raising up leaders to lead more life groups. I'm like, I want to invest in that. I can't go on to BC and necessarily minister in person, but I can get behind the people who are doing that. I believe that Jesus is calling us. He's saying, are you invested in my interests? Well, my interests are the expansion and the establishment of the church in this city and around the world. This is a great place to put your investments, the money that's been entrusted to you. And what is his response? What is the master's response? This is the best part of the story. 
His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. If we're not motivated by this phrase, then I don't think we think enough about Jesus' return and the reality that we will be held accountable for what he has given us. I want to be motivated by this phrase. I want to be motivated. I want to live my life differently today with the hope that Jesus will one day look at me and say, well done, Phil. You did great. I entrusted you with this and you invested in my interests. I want that to be said of my life. I'm motivated by that. You know, I was trying to think, why don't, why don't we talk about his return that much? And, and I was thinking, you know, well, part of it is that we live in a very affluent society, in a very affluent city, here in Boston, in the West, in America. You know, we don't talk about his return that much because it's like, life is pretty good. You know, if, it, if his return was delayed a few years, I wouldn't be that sad. I kind of like my life. You know, and even when I was single and I wasn't married and didn't have kids, I was like, sometimes I would think, Jesus, just can you return after I get married and have kids? I just want to experience that. You know, I want to, I'd love to play catch with my kid in the backyard. You know, like, just let me just try that and then you can come back. You know, I mean, that's a skewed view because we live in general comfort. Not everybody, but generally there's affluence and comfort that we live in. Life's not that bad. But what communities thought or think a lot about the return of Christ? Well, it's those who are under persecution or suffering that they think about the return of Christ a lot because they want it to come. They're like, Jesus, will you come back and redeem this place? Will you come back and start eternity? And so we don't live in that place right now. You know, that's not necessarily us, but that doesn't stop us from thinking about it. That doesn't stop us from saying, hey, we want to think about the return of Christ and we want him to come back. So, we're going to get to the finally the third servant. How does the third servant respond? And this is the, the warning part of this parable. This is the, the don't do this part of the parable. This is the watch out, don't be like this part of the parable. And I could take this a couple different ways, but I just want to hone in on one thing in response to, to this servant's perspective. Is that how we view God determines how we serve Him. The one who knows God the least serves God the least. We will never invest in the interests of the Master. We'll never invest in the thing that He wants us to if we don't know Him and have relationship with Him and love Him and, and, and deeply know His heart and what He's all about. If we don't know that, then we're not going to be the ones that invest well. And so we see this in this servant. He says, you are a hard man, and I was afraid. And it's so interesting. The first two servants, we don't see anything about this master being hard. In fact, he looks at the return and says, well done. Come and share in my happiness. Let's celebrate together. And they had that perspective. They were motivated by knowing that their master would return and commend them if they, if they invested well. But here this third servant didn't know this master well. And so he responded with this, 
you were a hard man, and I was afraid, and so I didn't invest at all. But here you go. This is, what you, this is exactly what you gave me back. And so the master calls him on this. He calls him first on his misperception of who God is. He calls that wicked. When we have the wrong perspective of who God is, that's, that's wicked. When we, when, we don't, we, when we believe lies about who God is and his love for us, that is, that is, those are wicked thoughts. I don't want to say that you're wicked, but we're believing things that are wicked when we believe those things. And then secondly, he calls the man on him not investing in the interest in the master. And he says, that's lazy. He said, you're wicked and you're lazy with those responses. And those are two things that I would never want my Lord to tell me when he comes to settle accounts. And so there are ramifications that if we don't use the resources that we've been entrusted with. Being held to account will be a joyful day for many of us. And I know so many of you, and I know the absolute generous hearts of so many of you in this church. And the way that you guys have used your finances. You've leveraged your finances to see the kingdom established. To see the church established and expanded all around the world. But that doesn't stop us from heeding the warning And saying, we want to be ones who know God so that we are the ones that invest in his purposes. Like the first two servants. So Becky, you can come on up. This has been our journey today. The Holy Spirit leads and shepherds us and gives us perspective on finances. And we see from this parable that Jesus is going to return one day. And he's going to hold us to account. He's going to settle accounts with us and say, hey guys, what did you do with what I entrusted you? And and I want to even make sure my voice inflection is in the right way because sometimes we can think it's going to be like, what did you do with what I gave you? I don't think it's that. I think it's, hey, what did you you guys do? I've been gone. You know what I mean? I've I've been with you, but I've been gone in person, but now I'm back. Like, what did you guys do with what I gave you? Kind of this anticipation. Because we see again from his response, well done, you guys did awesome. Man, you were faithful. Like that's, that's the response I feel like Jesus wants to give to us on that day of account, on that day of judgment that's coming. And so we want to be ones, we want to be a church who responds and say, I want to invest in the interest of the master so that that will be the response that I hear. So we're going to go into a time of response. This is how we're ending our finance series is in a time of personal response, you and the Lord, you and the Holy Spirit. I'm, we just say, we trust the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of you guys and you'll be ones who listen and obey. And the ushers are going to come and they're going to hand out these cards. And it will have an envelope with it as well. And you're right now going to just dialogue with the Lord. You're going to pray. You're going to ask Him, Lord, what do you want my finances to look like in 2019, this upcoming year? How do you want me to invest in your interests this upcoming year? And you'll fill out whatever you feel like the Lord's telling you. And then you're going to self-address the envelope. Meaning you're going to put your name on it and your address and where you're going to be living in potentially six months. So think ahead. Where, Where will you be in six months? Put that address there. And then you'll seal up that envelope. And there'll be a place where you can put them in the front or in the back of the, of the room once you're done. And in about six months' time, we'll take those and we will stamp them and send them to you. 
And it's going to be a time for you to open that envelope up and just remind yourself, oh, right, this is what I said I would do. This is, what I, this is how I was going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leadership in my finances this year. And you could just get an opportunity to see. No one else is going to see it. This isn't for our eyes. This isn't for us to hold you. I'm not the one holding you accountable. I'm not the one opening the envelope and saying, what would you do? You know? No, Jesus and you get to have that conversation. How did you invest in his interests? So again, after filling it out, once you guys uh, get these, the ushers are starting to pass them through. After you fill those out, again, self-addressed, and then there'll be a place you can put them right up here on the front, or you can bring them to the back. There's a basket, and put them in there. And Becky's going to be playing, and, and again, as quickly as you fill it out or as slowly as you fill it out, there'll be a time just to worship and just to say, Jesus, we want to be ones who invest in your interests. So let me pray as we respond. Father, we just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have entrusted us with so much. And thank you, Lord, just even for this parable that is teaching us that uh, we have this joyful and joyous opportunity to meet you one day and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. With what I've entrusted, you've invested well. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would lead each one of us into what uh, investing in your interests will look like this next year.